Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Good day, everyone. Welcome to Locked On ACC. I am Brian. I'm your host. Glad you're here. Man, what a weekend. We were all set for Selection Sunday. Never happened. But we can still celebrate here on the program. You can contact us. You can tweet us at LockedOnACC. You can also email us, LockedOnACC at gmail.com. You can follow my individual Twitter if you'd like. I am at Sports Matters. I would love to hear from you. Let's start. Even though we don't have a bracket, we have a national champion. And it's an ACC team, at least according to a few people. The Florida State Seminoles are the national champions, at least in the eyes of the Florida State Senate. The coronavirus outbreak, says ESPN, put an end to the NCAA men's basketball tournament before it could begin, prompting State Senator Joe Gruders to introduce a resolution Thursday proclaiming the Knolls champions by default. Lawmakers voted 37-2 to pass the resolution late Friday. Florida State went 26-5 and won the first ACC regular season title in school history. The Seminoles were number four in the most recent AP and coaches polls. Gruders, a Republican who represents Sarasota County and part of Charlotte County, received his bachelor's degree from FSU in 1999 and served on the university's board of trustees from 2011 to 2016. He wrote in the resolution that the Seminoles, quote, were favored to challenge the top seeds in the national tournament and take home the national title and highlighted the, quoting, again, tremendous skill on the court and the heart and spirit shown by the players and coaches. The resolution concluded by saying that it will be presented to Coach Leonard Hamilton and University President John Thrasher, quote, as a tangible token of the sentiments of Florida State. Okay, congratulations. You might as well just print a participation trophy for them. It's worth about as much. I, I understand why you did it. I know it's nice and all that stuff, and it honors the kids, but eh, whatever. Speaking, by the way, of the NCAA tournament, we actually did have a hypothetical release from Joe Lunardi. I normally don't cover a whole lot of Joe Lunardi stuff on this program, but since we're talking about a hypothetical tournament and one that we would love to see, let's tell you where the ACC teams ended up in this hypothetical situation. Florida State ended up as a two-seed going to Tampa, as we kind of figured. They would play Northern Kentucky in this hypothetical scenario. They even have... <laughs> favor lines Florida State favored by 13 and a half in this hypothetical scenario they would go on should they win to play the winner of West Virginia and Utah State the 7-10 game by the way I should also tell you five teams made it from the ACC in this scenario over in the south bracket Virginia made it to a sixth seed in this hypothetical they would play the Cincinnati Bearcats as an 11 seed Virginia a two-point favorite in that hypothetical. They would go on to play the winner of Michigan State and Bradley should they advance out of that hypothetical first-round matchup. We also, by the way, before we head on to the Midwest, we should tell you about one other ACC matchup in the East. NC State in a play-in game with UCLA, both of them as 11 seeds. NC State favored by two and a half. The winner of that would play Penn State. And the winner of that would go on to play the winner of Villanova-Hofstra. So if NC State somehow won two games and Florida State somehow won two games, then the Wolfpack and the Seminoles would play each other. And moving on to the Midwest, to close us out, we had the Duke Blue Devils going, of course, to Greensboro. 
as a three seed, they would play 14th seeded Belmont. Duke favored by nine in that matchup. Were I Duke, I would want no part of Belmont. Again, I know this isn't a mid-major program, and I'm not going to go into uh, the next 15 minutes extolling the virtues of Rick Bird and Casey Alexander and the Bruins and all that stuff, but that's a horrendous matchup for Duke. That would be a rock fight of a game. They'd probably win it, but that would be a rock fight of a game. They would advance on to play the winner of Iowa in East Tennessee State. <laughs> I wouldn't want to face Steve Forbes Buccaneers either. Iowa a one-and-a-half-point favorite there. But, yeah, Duke potentially, in this scenario, could wind up playing Belmont and East Tennessee in the first two rounds, and neither of those are really desirable for them. Lenardi also released a hypothetical NIT bracket, which would have a couple more ACC teams in it. They would have two on the road, one at home. So we get more ACC teams into hypothetical postseason. Clemson on the road at St. Louis in this NIT matchup. They would go on to play the winner of Boise State and Northern Iowa, should they win. You also have Syracuse in a 4-5 NIT matchup hosting Alabama. Then the winner of that would go on and play the winner of Memphis and Wright State. And then the final... ACC club to get postseason mention in this at least hypothetical scenario. Notre Dame, a five seed in the NIT. They would go on to play at Oklahoma State. If they won there, they would play the winner of Stanford and Loyola Chicago, the 1-8 matchup there. So in a supposed down year for the ACC, and really arguably it kind of was, if they'd had the tournaments... Chances are you're looking at eight ACC teams in the so-called prestigious postseason tournament. Not bad. It'll never happen. We realize that, but still not bad. So there, ladies and gentlemen, your hypothetical NCAA and NIT scenarios involving ACC teams. Maybe we should actually draw these out and put together what we think would be the actual bracket. I don't know. I think I'm just suffering bracket withdrawal. I think we all are at this point. We all were set to sit down at 6 o'clock on Sunday night, watch the brackets, just like we do every year. Unfortunately, we won't have that option. So maybe one of these days we'll break down this hypothetical scenario on both the NCA and the NIT sides and see how everything would have turned out, at least in our thoughts anyway. Right now, though, still a little bit raw. So I'll tell you what, since we can't do it that way, since we can't have an actual tournament, And since last Friday, we went back in time. Let's go back in time again, shall we? We'll take you back to another tournament in the past from the ACC. We'll do that in segment two of the program. But first, our first break, we'll come back and hop in the DeLorean. Get ready. This is Locked on ACC. Stay tuned. Welcome back. March 16, 2020, this is Locked On ACC, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. We are glad you're here. I mentioned that we were going to hop in the DeLorean and go back a little bit. So go ahead and do that with me, everyone. Go ahead and put on, put on your seatbelt. Get ready. And let's play the music that'll take us there. As we go back in time, once again, this time to the year... 1995, 25 years ago, as we look at the ACC tournament, the NCAA tournament, and what went on around society 25 years ago this year. 
Again, we'll continue to do this since we can't actually talk about real tournaments. We'll talk about past tournaments. If you were around in 1995, if you remember anything about 1995, some of the things that happened that year, a couple of significant doings, America Online and Prodigy offered World Wide Web access for the first time in 1995. They released their own browsers. So if you remember anything about AOL, some of you may even still have AOL email addresses, who knows? That was the first time you could get on the web from AOL or from Prodigy using their browsers. And then a much less joyful occasion, April 19th, 1995, the Oklahoma City bombing occurred. 168 people, eight of those federal marshals, 19 of them children, killed at the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City. Just a horrendous event in our nation's history but one that deserves to be remembered. And it happened 25 years ago, which is crazy to ponder. Born this year, some of the notable names, as we now are in 1995, Jabari Parker, born March 15th. So just had his birthday yesterday. July 22nd, Ezekiel Elliott. July 24th, Kyle Kuzma. September 14th, Deshaun Watson. September 17th, Patrick Mahomes. Two of the more elite quarterbacks in the NFL, born three days apart. And Miles Garrett, born December 29th. Notable 1995 deaths. Easy e passed away March 26th, 1995. Some interesting music Easy e produced. I'll just leave it at that. Wolfman Jack, the legendary DJ. One of the voices you heard throughout the movie American Graffiti. He passed on July 1st of 1995. And Mickey Mantle passed away August 13th. 1995. Crazy to think that all those things happened 25 years ago. And then there's the 1994-95 ACC basketball season. Your regular season champs, Wake Forest. The Deeks went 12-4 in the regular season. They were 26-6 overall. North Carolina, right behind them, 12-4, 28-6. Maryland, tied with them. Right behind them, 12 and 4, 26 and 8. And Virginia, also in that tie, 12 and 4, 25 and 9 for the Hoos. Georgia Tech, 8 and 8, 18 and 12. Florida State, 5 and 11, 12 and 15. Clemson, 5 and 11, 15 and 13. NC State, 4 and 12, 12 and 15. And Duke, 2 and 14, 13 and 18. Also known as the Pete Gaudette era. The all ACC teams that year, three of them as always. Rashid Wallace of North Carolina headlined the ACC First Team All-Conference along with Tim Duncan of Wake Forest, a sophomore at that time. Again, crazy to think about. Randolph Childress, the current Deeks assistant coach, was a senior that year. Averaged 20.1 a game. Jerry Stackhouse on that team. Sophomore then at North Carolina. And Joe Smith of Maryland finished out the All-Conference team on the first team side. He actually led all of these scorers, 20.8 points a game, 10.6 boards a game for the Terrapin standout. Second team, Todd Fuller of NC State, who later went on to play for the Warriors in the NBA. Harold Dean of Virginia. Man. Cherokee Parks of Duke, Bob Sur of Florida State, and Travis Best of Georgia Tech. The third team, Florida State's James Collins, Jeff McInnes from North Carolina, Johnny Rhodes of Maryland, James Forrest of Georgia Tech, 
uh, James Forrest. But that's from another NCAA tournament. And Junior Burrow of Virginia round out the all-ACC teams. The ACC all-freshman team, Curtis Staples of Virginia, Corey Lewis of Florida State, Matt Harpering of Georgia Tech. Matt Harpering, good grief. Greg Buckner of Clemson and Aishua Benjamin of NC State. Man, some of those names. The 1995 ACC men's basketball tournament took place in Greensboro. The first round, the play-in game, essentially, Duke wins 83-70 in the 8-9 game against NC State. When's the last time you saw Duke in an 8-9 game in the ACC tournament? Duke went on to the quarterfinals and got beaten by Wake Forest 87-70. Further on in quarterfinal action, Virginia 77, Georgia Tech 67 in the 4-5 game, Maryland over Florida State 71-64 in the 2-7 affair, and North Carolina throttled Clemson in the 3-6 game, 78-62. Clemson went on to the NIT that year. The semifinals actually featured four teams at the time in the top 15. Wake Forest beat Virginia 77-68, North Carolina over Maryland 97-92 in overtime, and then another overtime game decided the ACC champion. Wake Forest beat North Carolina 82-80, In overtime, Randolph Childress hit the game-winning shot with just under five seconds remaining in that game. Carolina had a chance to win. Jerry Stackhouse's three wouldn't fall, and the putback wouldn't fall either. So Randolph Childress scores 37 in a winning effort, takes home the most outstanding player of that tournament. That was the first conference title that Wake Forest had won in 33 years. Crazy to think of where Wake Forest is now and where it was then. But Wake Forest, your 1995 ACC champion, one of several teams from the conference that went on to the NCAA tournament. We'll break down the NCAA tournament from that year and how the ACC teams did in it. In segment three of the program, we'll take this last break, come back, tell you about the 1995 NCAA tournament. Stay tuned. Locked on ACC will be right back. Welcome back to Locked On ACC, March 16th, 2020. We are firmly in 1995 as we look back at the ACC and NCAA tournaments from that year. Again, since we can't look at this year's ACC or NCAA tournaments, let's look back. That year still had the East, Midwest, Southeast, and West set up. So the East from that year had the sites of the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, and the Baltimore Arena in Baltimore, the Midwest, were at the Frank Irwin Center in Austin and the UD Arena at Dayton, the Southeast, the Pyramid in Memphis, and the Tallahassee-Leon County Civic Center in Tallahassee, the West at the BSU Pavilion at Boise State, and at the John M. Huntsman Center in Salt Lake City. The regional finals and semifinals took place at the Brendan Byrne Arena In East Rutherford, New Jersey, the Midwest, Kansas City, Missouri's Kepper Arena, the Southeast, BJCC Coliseum in Birmingham, and the West, Oakland, Alameda County Coliseum Arena in Oakland. The Final Four that year in another now-defunct arena, the King Dome in Seattle. Moving on to the actual tournament itself, starting in the East, Wake Forest sent to Baltimore. They were a one-seed that year. They defeated 16th-seeded North Carolina A&T 79-47 in round one, then faced the ninth seed St. Louis. They beat them 64-59 in the round of 32. Then moved on to East Rutherford, New Jersey, where Oklahoma State, the four seed, 
behind Big Country Bryant Reeves, remember him, knocked off the Demon Deacon 71-66 to advance on to the round of eight. In that game, Wake Forest shot 41% from the floor, 24-59. They only played, get this, they played seven players in that game. Future Chicago Bull Rusty LaRue, one of the only two players to come off the bench for the Deeks in that game. He scored 17 points. He was 6 of 10 in 27 minutes for the Deeks. Randolph Childress, 22. Tim Duncan, 12. The only other Deeks in double figures. Duncan, though, despite only having 12 points, had 22 rebounds for Wake Forest in that loss. Reeves, one of three Oklahoma State scorers in double figures. He had 15 for the Cowboys. Randy Rutherford led them 23 points. 11 boards, so Wake bounced in the round of 16 in 1995, despite being a one seed that year. Moving to the Midwest, Virginia earned a four seed. They went to Dayton, faced off with Nichols State in the first round. They beat them 96-72 in the 4-13 game. Can you imagine? Okay, just think about Virginia now. Think about what the Cavaliers are in present day, and imagine that team scoring 96 points. It might take them two and a half games to score 96 points, but they are still, and will be for another year, the defending national champion. Virginia advanced to play Miami of Ohio, the 12 seed, who essentially got a home game that year. Miami of Ohio playing in Dayton that year. Beat Arizona in the 12-5 game, 71-62. The Cavs beat them 60-54. Then Virginia faced off with top-seeded Kansas in the Midwest and beat them 67-58 before finally getting to the regional final where they fell to Arkansas, Arkansas the two-seed in that region. They beat Virginia 68-61 to advance on to the final four. Virginia placed three scorers in double figures that day. Junior Burrow at 22. He also had 16 boards. Curtis Staples, 16 points. And Harold Dean with 12 Also of note in that game, current Cavalier assistant coach Jason Williford started, played 32 minutes, went 0 for 3 from the deck, had 4 points. Corey Alexander, current ACC Network announcer, started also for UVA in that game, played 23 minutes, missed both shots he took, both from 3, and did not score. Virginia, 19 of 56 from the floor, 34%. UVA was 6 of 21 from 3, 29%. Not great. In that starting lineup, you had Burrow, Staples, and Dean make 16 field goals. Jamal Robinson off the bench had three. That was all of UVA's successful field goals on that day. Arkansas's big two of Corliss Williamson and Scotty Thurman, the only two in double figures for the Hogs. Williamson, 21 points, 8 of 13 from the field. Scotty Thurman, 17 points on 7 of 16 from the field, 5 of 10 being from 2. Arkansas on that day, 23 of 58, 40%, just 5 of 24 from 3, 21%. So Virginia falls in the Elite 8 in 1995. Another ACC team made the Elite 8, that being in the Southeast, second-seeded North Carolina, beat Murray State in the first round in Tallahassee, 80-70, to then advanced on to play Iowa State, 
where the Tar Heels were victorious 73-51 in the 2-7 game. They then defeated Georgetown 74-64 in Birmingham, Georgetown the sixth seed that year. North Carolina then advanced on to play Kentucky in the Elite Eight, where they defeated the Wildcats 74-61 to advance on to the Final Four in Seattle. That year, that game, some interesting names on that Kentucky squad. Tony Delk, 19 for the Wildcats that day. Walter McCarty, 14. Roderick Rhodes also on that team. Mark Pope on that team. Some names you might recognize. More on Carolina in just a bit. Also of note, Carolina shot 49% against Kentucky that day. Big day for the Tar Heels. Would they have a big day in the Final Four? Hang out, we'll tell you. Then if you go to the West, Maryland made it as a three seed. The Terrapins thumped then 14 seed Gonzaga. Yes, Gonzaga was once a 14 seed in this tournament. 87-63. Then went on to defeat Texas 82-68. Texas the 11 seed. They knocked off Oregon that year, 90-73 in the first round. Maryland then went on to the Sweet 16 in Oakland where UConn clipped them 99-89 in the Sweet 16. UCLA, though, would go on to win that region. That game against UConn, the Terrapins had four double-digit scorers. Johnny Rhodes and Joe Smith with 22 apiece. Keith Booth with 10. And the legendary X-Ray Hip, one of the best names ever, 13 points for the Terrapins. Maryland was 38 of 83 from the field. 46%, just 4 of 20 from 3, though, 20% for the Terrapins. UConn had five double-digit scorers. Some of these names you'll probably recognize as well. Donnie Marshall, 27 points. Ray Allen, 18. I know you know that name. Eric Hayward, Deron Sheffer had 12 apiece, and Travis Knight had 15 for UConn that day. So we have one team left in the final four, that team being North Carolina. Final Four in Seattle, they would play second seed at Arkansas with the Tar Heels. Arkansas ended the run of the Tar Heels in Seattle. Arkansas 75, North Carolina 68. Four Tar Heels in double figures that day. Donald Williams with 19. Jerry Stackhouse 18. Jeff McInnes 13. Rashid Wallace 10. Dante Calabria started that game. Played 35 minutes, went 1 for 10 from the field, 0 for 7 from 3. He had two points. I have a Dante Calabria story that is incredible. I can't tell it on this program, but just know that it is incredible. Arkansas with three double-digit scores in that victory. Corliss Williamson, 21. Dwight Stewart, 15. And Clint McDaniel, 13 for the Hogs on that day. Arkansas would go on to the national final to play UCLA. The Bruins win 89-78 over the Arkansans. UCLA, your 1995 national champions. The all-tournament team that year, Bryant Reeves of Oklahoma State, Clint McDaniel and Corliss Williamson of Arkansas, and Ed O'Bannon and Toby Bailey of UCLA. Remember them? Some ACC names on all-region teams. Tim Duncan on the all-East region team. Junior Burrow and Harold Dean of Virginia on the All-Midwest team. Jerry Stackhouse, Rasheed Wallace, and Donald Williams of North Carolina on the All-Southeast team. So some ACC representation on those teams. And there, folks, 
your 1995 ACC and NCAA tournaments. So we take a trip back in time to 1995. I want to close out the program with something that is not ACC related at all, but I wanted to make sure that it was mentioned. I'll just read the story as is and interject at times. Uh, This from the Middle Tennessee State Sports Information Department. Steve Peterson, the all-time winningest coach in Middle Tennessee baseball history, has passed away. Peterson, 68, died at St. Thomas Hospital after suffering a heart attack earlier in the week. Before we proceed, let me just say, Pete taught the only 8 o'clock class for which I ever enthusiastically signed up. The only 8 o'clock class I ever really wanted to attend. Not that I didn't attend others, but the only one I ever really wanted to attend. And it is amazing to me how much I learned from Pete in a semester, how much I learned from Pete in all the time I ever spent around him. Not just about baseball, but about life. I still, to this day, I can tell you about the terms door-knocking knuckles and bucket giant whip and all these things that he taught about baseball. I'm not the only one that he ever impacted, and you'll hear that in just a minute. Peterson is Middle Tennessee's all-time winningest baseball coach with a record of 791, 637, and 3 in 25 years leading the program. Before he took over as head coach in 1988, Pete served as an assistant coach to John Stanford for six seasons. He retired following the 2012 season after leading the program for a quarter of a century. Under Peterson's direction, the Blue Raiders won 11 regular season conference championships, nine conference tournament championships, and played in nine NCAA regionals, including two as an at-large selection. A great developer of talent, Peterson had 71 of his former players drafted into professional baseball, with eight of them reaching the major leagues. A three-time coach of the year, Peterson produced eight conference players of the year and 10 All-Americans at Middle Tennessee, and this is the hallmark of what Pete meant to other people. More than 30 of his players became high school baseball coaches. 30. Folks, that's a big-time number, and it shows you what Pete meant to everybody that he ever coached, taught, came in contact with, anything. Just a larger-than-life man, a great teacher, and one of the most wonderful people I've ever had the privilege of knowing. Continuing, Peterson is a member of five halls of fame, including the American Baseball Coaches Association Hall of Fame, He was inducted in the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 2016. Peterson is also a member of the Blue Raider Hall of Fame, the Huntsville-Madison County, Alabama Athletic Hall of Fame, the Tennessee Baseball Coaches Association Hall of Fame, and the Rutherford County Old-Timers Baseball Hall of Fame. Peterson's Blue Raider teams won 30 or more games 16 times. They won 40-plus four times, including a record-setting 2009 campaign when the squad posted a 44-18 record. The 44 wins are the most in school history in a single season. Including his time as head coach at Roan State, Peterson amassed a 944-733-3 career record. Again, I could go on forever talking about Pete, what he meant to me, what he meant to so many people, who ever played for him, who he ever knew, whatever else. But I'll simply say this. The world lost a great man, a great leader, and one hell of a baseball coach. I'll miss him. Godspeed, Pete. Thanks for the lessons in pretty much every arena that you ever had a chance to teach them. With that, let's go ahead, wind down today's Locked On ACC. If you like this, tell your smart speaker to play the other great conference shows we have on Locked On, including Locked On SEC and Locked On 
Big Ten, why don't you? We'll see you back here tomorrow. This has been Locked on ACC. Be safe. Take care. See you tomorrow. Love you. Mean it. (laughs)